Hey friends, it's Zach here. We're off this week on the show on the road, but I wanted to quickly reintroduce one of my favorite episodes for you, my talk with the gravelly-voiced, soft-hearted Americana hero and unelected sly-eyed mayor of Guitar Town, Steve Earle. Feels like a long time ago when I used to take this little mic onto sweaty tour buses and talk face to face with someone like Earl who has been making foundational Roots records since before I was born. I haven't been able to do that in a while, but things are about to start opening up again and I'm starting to feel a little hopeful for the first time in a long time. Of course, a lot has changed since Steve and I talked in Kentucky that day. And if you're a follower of folk music, you probably heard about the tragic death of Steve's incredibly talented son, Justin Towns Earl, in August of 2020. I am my father's son I've never known when to shut up And I'm not fooling no one no more I am my father's son I remember talking to Justin on the side of a stage in Sisters, Oregon a few years back, and I was struck by how it seemed like he had stepped out of the pages of a 1930s catalog. He was so kind to me, but his eyes were always looking off somewhere, like he didn't quite belong here. His songs also felt deeply lived in, unstuck by time, like they existed in that Harlem River somewhere in the dark shadows of history. In many ways, Justin's death at the age of 38 symbolized the many competing cruelties of the last year, where we all felt unmoored and knocked out of orbit. Not only have we lost over a half a million Americans to that sinister virus nearly identical to the toll taken during the Civil War, Justin was caught up in another pernicious dark trap that stalks millions of our citizens every day. A devastating triple cocktail of mental illness, alcohol, and opioid addiction, the last of which finally took Justin from this world, leaving a small daughter and wife behind. No father deserves to bury his son. And while Steve has had his own struggles with substance abuse, as you'll hear in our conversation, he was able to tame that bastard beast somehow and keep creating. And I was amazed to see that just three months after his son's death, Steve revealed he would be releasing a covers album of Justin's songs. It's hard not to agree with Pitchfork magazine. The timeline indeed seemed sudden. From the outside, inhabiting Justin's songs they wrote of loneliness and loss appeared to be an act of emotional masochism. But everyone grieves in their own way. And for Steve, those sessions were simply a part of his own process, a means of communion and of moving through pain. I was there when you were born Took you from Did you lose a loved one this year? We all have our own way of processing life's knockout punches. And if you have a chance, I urge you to listen to Earl's newest record, JT. It made me grateful to spend some time with my dad this week doing something that Steve Earl, I know, would have appreciated seeing the first baseball game of the year. 
Truly, if Steve had his way, he'd probably be talking about the Yankees and the Red Sox and not his journey through substance abuse and all the songs that came from all his ex-wives and his love affairs gone wrong. But I'm so glad I was able to talk with him. And uh, there's going to be some really cool things coming up on this show. So please come back every Wednesday for new episodes. I just recorded a really cool episode with Ani DeFranco talking about her new record, Revolutionary Love, and we'll be talking to Parker Millsap about his new record, Be Here Instead. Real quick, if you're a fan of my band Dust Bowl Revival, you may be noticing that there are some changes coming to the band. A few of our longtime band members will be transitioning back to civilian life, and we'll be introducing some new players who will join us on the road to keep this funky journey going. Seems hard to believe, but I launched the band over 12 years ago on Craigslist, and there's always going to be new blood coming in, so I hope you can check out our live stream coming May 6th and 13th. It is a double ticketed live stream concert experience. You can get the tickets on May mandolin.com will be playing our new record is it you is it me in its entirety and on may 13th we will be playing classic dust bowl songs favorites and brand new tunes that we just started working on and telling some crazy stories from the road please check it out dustbowlrevival.com for more okay i'm gonna shut up now let's go back in the time machine to hear my talk with the one and only steve Earl. i love you your last words to me Right, here I we are. I never give up on the Yankees with our seven runs down. So, the, the Red Sox are really good. They've been having a hard time this year, but they're gonna they're, they're catching up really fast. So. so here we are in the parking lot at Rompfest. Can you introduce yourself to the radio audience? I'm Steve Earl, and um, this is a bluegrass festival, largely in um, Owensboro, Kentucky, that we're at today. It's nice being in the air conditioning because it's pretty brutal out there. Yeah, it's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. Yeah, summer finally showed up. It's been bizarre. The weather's been so different than it's supposed to be almost everywhere I've been. Yeah. You grew up a Yankee fan, huh? Yeah, no baseball in Texas till 62. Yeah. You know, my granddad... Colt 45 is when they came in? That's 62 when they arrived, and they become the Astros when when NASA moves to to Houston, So, which is the next year. San Antonio never had a baseball team. Right? The what? San Antonio never had a team, right? Had teams, but in the minor league teams. Yeah. There's always been a minor league yeah. team. It's, 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 it's traditionally, mostly it's been, um, I believe it's Dodgers double A ball. Oh, really? Yeah, San Antonio Mission. It's been there for a long time. Um, I've become an adopted Dodger fan since yeah. I've been in L.A. about 11 years. Yeah, well, I could see that. It's a this great, has got to be the it's year, It's a great man. stadium and the best hot dog you know, in baseball, is yeah. in Dodger Stadium. Cannot be a Dodger, Dodger dog. dog. You can't be the not, 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 not. When's the last time you went to a game? At anyway. Do- oh, anyway, um, Yankee Stadium. Um, when was it? it was about ten days ago, something like that. Eleven days ago, and I'm going to go again on the 21st. That'll be the last regular season game I'll see this year. I miss. I don't get to see a shitload of games because I'm touring in the summertime. So yeah. So I just go. I buy. I go on StubHub and. Not worth it for me to have season tickets, so I get to go to so few games. I've been to three this year, I think. Did you play and when you were growing up? No, I didn't. I was the most unathletic person in my family, and uh, you know, I'm not. It's weird. I don't know why. Well, it was my granddad. My granddad. Uh, I was six in 1961. My grandfather, like, mustered out of the army in New York City anyway. So he came back a Yankees fan. When he came back to run the family hardware store, creaking and screaming when his stepfather died. But um, 
you were either a Yankees fan or a Dodgers fan because yeah. that's who you got on television. Yeah, yeah. Because there were only two stadiums that were set up for TV. So the game of the week was either the New York Yankees, you yeah. know, hosting somebody or or, or the, the L.A. Dodgers hosting somebody. And I could have been a Dodgers fan just based on baseball. That was Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax on the same pitching staff. Yeah. And, you know, there's, it would have been really easy to be a to be a Dodgers fan. My dad didn't talk to me for about three days when I admitted to him that I was rooting for the Red Sox when they finally won in 04. And then when Johnny Damon hit that home run, I was like, come right. on, man. Like, this is yeah. this is fun. And he's yeah. like, how could you say that? <laughs> I don't. I don't hate the Red Sox. It's the greatest rivalry, but I, but I don't, you know. But you have to be sensitive to people's pain when they follow a team like that, and that's all there is to it. So you grew up mostly in Texas, right, in San Antonio area? Yeah. Well, yeah. You remember what the first concert that you remember seeing when you were yeah, a kid? Yeah, Beatles and, and Houston Coliseum. That was the first concert you went to? Yeah, the first, you know, rock concert yeah. I went to. I don't think pretty I good one. saw any kind of... Before that, I think I might have seen, you know, um, somebody at a rodeo or something, but I can't remember. I mean, oh, for, I mean oh. for so many people, the, the Beatles on, like, you know... Ed Sullivan was like this transformational it was moment. For me. Was it? Was it, it for you too? It was for me because I was an Elvis guy, you know. But I kind of missed, you know. I mean, for me, Elvis was the movies, you know. Yeah. And and I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show when he got out of the army, and I saw all the movies on because they were they were replaying all the time by that time. And and um, a very interested in music. I my uncle's records. I had an uncle five years older than me that my mom's brother. Um, who, you know, I paid a lot of attention to what he did because he was closer to my age. And, and you know, he had he, he bought records, so he had things like the Purple People either, and he had right. the man who shot Liberty Valance, and, right. you know, and then um, and he had Elvis records, but he was only, he was a little older than me, so he wasn't quite as interested in Elvis. And he was just sort of, you know, still preteen, and then just as he's becoming a teenager, the Beatles happened. So, yeah, you know, he's he's... 13 and and um, or 14 and I'm nine. Yeah. And um, he calls me and says he's lives in Jacksonville, Texas. Our dad says you got to watch the Ed Sullivan show. We usually did anyway, but um, I'd heard about him, you know, mostly from him. Yeah. And I saw the Beatles and it was all over. It was like from that point on, it became. And now at the same time, I had uh, another uncle who was the best nine-finger piano player in Northeast Texas, and that's where all the Hank Williams and Bob Wills and what happened Johnny to his other Cashel finger? Set, got pulled off on the bike. His wedding ring got caught on the conveyor belt at a charcoal plant he was working in, Shit. and uh, they couldn't find it, so it ended up in a bag of charcoal. Somebody got some extra meat <laughs> so. on the grill. Yeah. Wait, w- w- one of those uncles you ran away from home with? Is that is that no, right? I didn't run away from home with my uncle. All those stories get compressed together. <laughs> I ran away from home a lot. I left home. But the, the uncle that's five years older than me, when I left home for good, he was living in Houston by that time. So I went over and just showed up and crashed at his place in Houston when I first got there. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I got my own place pretty quickly after that. But I, I did, you know, kind of follow him over there. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Uh, yeah, it was um, probably had a girl's name title <laughs> for a title, something like that, you know. So, I mean, I think it was called Elaine. When yeah. when you are a certain age in life and you've had seven marriages, right? At a certain point, is there an inkwell that is so deep to, to, to dip into for new songs that 
it becomes a combination of of many loves and many uh, you know sort of inspirations, or is it are you, is it still sort of that that one person that sparks a new song? I just think some girls are better for songs than others. I don't <laughs> know, you know. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no, you know, perfectly good girls don't get any songs, and and people that I didn't love any less don't get any songs. And it, it's not what's poetic is what's poetic. I think the the people don't give give a fuck what happens to you. They care about what happens to you that they can relate to. Right. And that really is the, I, mean, I realized that a long time ago, and so that's the stuff I, the other stuff for the most part I don't bother to write, yeah. you know, so I have some specific reason for it to exist in a narrative for an album or something. I just I just got into that song Valentine's Day right. of yours on uh, the I Feel Alright record, 96, you know, and it's, it's so both romantic but also like sort of self-aware, you know, about sort of the idea of, look, Valentine's Day is this sort of manufactured right. holiday, but every day, sort of even thinking of you is like Valentine's Day right. to you. You know, I was just saving my ass because I I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have a driver's license, so I couldn't go out and get anything, <laughs> and I didn't want to take a chance. Yeah, you couldn't get the flowers, uh, didn't get the card. It's I like get, yeah. So yeah. I just uh, I literally wrote it uh, in a panic on February. 13th. As a gift for Valentine's Day? Yeah, for Valentine. That's what it was. That's why I read it. Did it work? Yeah, for a while. <laughs> well, at a certain point, it's about, like, the idea of love in the grand sense, maybe, you know? It is, but the fact of the matter is, usually you're trying to, you know, you're, you're dealing with, when it gets real is when you're dealing with something that actually happened to you. So, yeah. if you're not willing to give up something, then, you know, people that are guarded and people that, that, are private usually, you know. There, I know some people that are very private in every other way except what they write, and the writing's the only outlet. Guy was a lot like that, yeah. you know. But um, um, I'm kind of everything sort of comes out of me whether I'm talking or writing or whatever. But your newest record about you know Guy, it, it's it's so personal, even though it's not your songs per se but it feels so lived in for me I know the songs really, yeah. and I stuck to songs I knew really well for the most part I learned a couple of songs but most of it's songs I've known for decades and you know so I'm on that kind of intimate basis with them so it makes that a lot believe, more believable if, if he was here right now which one of the songs would you play for him you oh I don't know I mean uh, uh, the guy songs on this yeah. record I don't know and what I'm proudest of is LA Freeway yeah um he liked my version of the last gunfire battle. He heard that because yeah. I recorded that years ago, twenty years ago. Yeah, and we couldn't. We tried to re-record it for this record, and we couldn't beat it, so we just released the version I recorded twenty years ago. Yeah, there's there's that feeling sometimes when you're recording that like there's a gun to your head almost. You know, do you, is it? Do you feel like you can't necessarily get it right? Or you don't appreciate what you did until many years later, or do you feel sometimes in the moment that you never? I've always been pretty pragmatic about that in the sense that I think there's, they're called records for a reason. All they are is a record of a given performance on a given day, and I'm really good at letting it go. That's good. You know, I don't ever want it back. I, I mean, it's, I can, I have the option to record something again if I want to, as yeah. long as it's been five years, you know, um, from when I originally recorded it for something, somebody else paid for it. Um, yeah. At this point, I'm trying to get through the rest of my life without ever having to pay for a record. You know? so <laughs> that's because that's I haven't had to pay for one so far. So I just kind of don't want to. Are you doing a record 
in conjunction with a public theater uh, uh, project that well, I hear about I'm that? I'm going to do a record that hopefully will sell at the shows. There's a, there's, um, and then I'm going to do make another record that involves some of the same songs. They'll just be my next record. Uh, Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, who are a couple, they do what they call, it's, you know, documentary theater, basically. They interviewed um, the survivors which means the two guys that were there that didn't die and the families of these people that were killed in, um, in, a, in a coal mine called Upper Big Branch in West Virginia, yeah. you know, 10 years ago. Belonged to that guy, Don Blankenship, who, yeah. the, the gentleman you saw who ran for the Senate in, in, in West Virginia and didn't win. Um, it, um, the songs are, it was pitched around town as a piece that they, they, they do we went to West Virginia they interviewed these folks it's their words and then I wrote songs that sort of moved the narrative along it's not a musical it's a play with with um, with with songs and um, it goes up at the public theater in February and I'm gonna actually be in it performing you know playing those songs and then I'm gonna make a another there'll be a record uh, made even before that that'll be this, those, those songs plus some other songs that were inspired by those trips to West Virginia that'll be uh, more electric than the versions that I'll perform in the show and you'll be this band and um, um, the play's called Coal Country mm. our record's called Ghosts of West Virginia I believe mm. it's what I'm gonna call it so I'm planning on calling it now mm. and uh, there'll probably be an EP with the the acoustic versions that, that I perform, like as I perform them in the show as well. Because you've been in, you know, The Wire and different things like that, where the camera is like a different gaze than like an audience like playing music. Do you feel like your spirit as an actor versus a, a performer playing music is a different persona, or do you feel like it's always you? I think it's way easier to perform for a live audience for me because I've done way more of it. Yeah, uh, but like but but as an actor. And you know, uh, you know, on a stage in New York, that's a terrifying thing to me. I, the closest I came to it was was a uh, Richard Maxwell play I was in, and I was mainly a narrator, and I was on book until the very end. Then I had this long, hairy twenty-minute monologue, and it was it was the most frightening thing I've ever done. And the first night I walk out, Lois Smith is sitting right across from me, and yeah. it's, it's a you know, it's like a you know seventy-seat theater, you know. Yeah. So um, you know that's so scary, but but. Um, the camera's not what's important when you're when you're when you're trying to be pretend to be somebody else in a film or television. What's important is that you understand that there is an audience on the yeah. other side of that camera. And all that camera is is yeah. the lens. It's just the eye. And yeah. you, you know, the, the the person that you're playing to is well on the other side of that. The uh, I was gonna ask you about about being scared. You know, there's a this song that I love of yours called Meet Me in the Alleyway um, off of I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive about right. dancing with the devil at the end of the line and you know you better come running because the spirits won't wait is there a point where you felt most terrified in your life well there's been a lot there's been some terrifying moments I mean I don't you know um and how did you get through? Like, what is the way to get through? At one time, drugs, but yeah. I can't do that anymore, you know? Yeah. Getting sober was pretty terrifying. Um, you know, I don't put myself in as many dangerous situations now that I'm not high, so... Um, you know, there's just not... What I do, nobody dies. 
Yeah. You know, so I always try to keep that in perspective. Like, at the end of the day, whether it's good or whether it's bad, nobody's going to die because if I don't <laughs> do my job well. You yeah. know? And there are people that go out and do jobs every day that, that people's yeah. lives are at stake. So, so I just try to keep it in perspective. It is important. Art's important. Yeah. But it isn't life or death, and, and I just try to keep that in perspective, and, and uh, usually things turn out all right. I mean, where is the place for the artist right now in this sort of super divided political time? Because it's like, you've had causes that you care about, the death penalty, the environment, yeah, but, you know, it's but like, the deal is, how do you make a difference right now? Like, how do you, like, think well, we can I make a difference? Well, I don't know. You do what you can do. What I'm going to do, what I've chosen to do is to make a record that isn't the preaching to the choir record that I've made in the past. I'm making a record that gives a voice to, you know, that speaks to, and hopefully if I do it prop- properly for people that maybe didn't vote the way that I did, and it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. I just want them, you know, I want I want people to know that I listen to, yeah. and that's that's mainly what this record. Because I think a lot of the 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 angst feels like people are not being understood or not being listened to yeah. and they're being talked down to. Absolutely. Right? There's, there's a, lot, I mean, a lot of my friends think that the way they're going to change what's happened to us the last several years, and it is dangerous. This guy's dangerous and he's dismantling our democracy. But they think the way they're going to change it is to call people stupid. And, and, and if you think that everybody voted for Donald Trump is stupid, you know, then we're going to get him again. If you think that everybody that voted for Donald Trump's mean, then we're going to get him again. There's mean people. They're stupid people, and some probably more of them voted than, than not. But even those people are people. So it's just one of those yeah. things. They're part of the deal. It's a democracy, and you have to have some trust in it, and you have to accept, yeah. you know. Um, you know, That's why some people are afraid of impeachment. I think he deserves to be impeached, but I also do believe that there will be a reaction that's potentially dangerous if yeah. they attempt to impeach him. So I understand that that fear is real. Yeah. So my deal is I just want to... I just want to make sure that I can contribute to making people not afraid mm. to do something different than they did last time. That maybe they maybe they went in the booth and they just, you know, maybe they won't even admit that they voted for him. There's, I think there's lots of people that, that voted for him that that'll swear to you that they didn't. <laughs> you know, or, or they, they don't want to talk about it. Well. Mm. Um, here we go. But or just because they didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton, yeah. that 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 I think that happened, you know. Yeah. And and um, um, do you think we're going to have a woman a woman president coming up? Yeah, I think I think it's going to happen soon. Um, nobody, I didn't believe that we would ever see an African American president of the United States in my lifetime. Yeah. So it, all bets are off now, you know. We've had we've had a African American president who. Uh, I thought he was pretty pretty good president. He's not my guy, in the sense that that he might as well have been, you know. It's kind of middle of the road. I mean, like politically. There's no, there's no different than no different than than Bill Clinton when it yeah. got right down to it. And Bill Clinton might as well have been a Republican. So <laughs> you know, I don't in a lot of ways that are important to me. But I do. But he, but he's not. But they weren't Republicans. There, there does make a difference. And you know, I I've never made the mistake of believing this was. Uh, anything but a right of center center country that's what it is and you know i'm a i'm a left of a well left of center guy and a right of center country and i've always accepted that and i don't think it's because were your folks conservative in texas no no my parents were always democrats and you know my dad was air traffic controller worked for the government you know he probably 
um, accepted that the Vietnam War was supposed to happen and that we were doing it for the right reasons until it went on for several years and then he was trying talking to me about going to Canada because I was getting old and so he, so he had a he had a malleable mind about he things. did he absolutely did yeah he absolutely did that that song Randall Knife uh, which is off the guy record he recorded in 1983 but it's about his father and what he stood for right you know, what would you say your father stood for my dad just was um, a good, really good dad that's what he was more than anything yeah. else he was just uh, he's a world champion dad he was funny and he was uh, he was there traffic controller because. He made the decision that he had a kid and a kid along the way, and he wanted to be a pilot. Mm. He would fly at the airlines, but the FAA was hiring controllers feverishly because there had been a, a mid-air collision over Grand Canyon in, in 1955. Yeah, I just, just heard about and that. I, I, I hiked the, wrong, the Grand Canyon a couple weeks ago, and yeah. I never knew about that. that, that was, that's why our air yeah. traffic control, we suddenly saw, oh, we need, yeah. we need a real air traffic control. We didn't have one. We didn't have a real air traffic control. We only respond to crazy catastrophes in this country to make things. Yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. We don't want to spend money until something bad happens. Did he ever see you play when you started getting a little? Oh yeah, no, he was one of my he was one of my biggest fans. Yeah, without doubt, he followed me all over Texas to play before I went to Nashville, and you know, they he lived in Tennessee the last several years of his life. He, he, my parents were my biggest fans when I was coming up. Your your debut record, Guitar Town. There's a black and white picture with a guitar over your back but right. there's a string missing yeah why was that an accident we shot the I broke a lot of strings in those days the way <laughs> I played was really brutal I've learned I've actually my techniques better so I don't break strings as much as I used to but I broke a G string which is what you that's the easiest string to break on any yeah. guitar because it has more tension on it than any other string um, and I, we were shooting and I you know I can't shoot photographs of me playing the guitar without actually playing the guitar and I broke a string at some point in the session so it ended up going on there with a with a with a with a broken string on it if you could have a festival that you threw yourself where would it be in the five artists that you would book dead or alive oh god where would it be um probably in Idaho because I like to fish there but um, fly fishing yeah but you know I'd, I'd settle for someplace with the John Henry you don't have to be. settle this is this is a yeah. fantastical uh, festival pro- probably, probably in Idaho and I'd probably have um, the Punch Brothers plus Lobos Tedeschi Trucks um, how many is that? <laughs> uh, four okay then probably um, you could bring anyone back from the dead who would it be? well NRBQ with the with um, either either the the well the original lineup is is pre Big Al even yeah. you know so the Big Al lineup probably some some version of them was playing at a festival no, he's, did it's, in, in it's uh, Terry, Massachusetts we're about to do so we're doing a show with him somewhere it, it's Terry he's doing or no they're coming on the cruise they're doing the Outlaw Cruise this year um, Terry Terry's calling the band that he has now in RBQ you know Joey's Joey's you know doesn't leave. Massachusetts much because he's been you know kind of struggling with he had some pretty intensive uh, cancer treatment and, yeah. so he can't really tour like that so I think Joey finally let him do it and so he's I mean he's used his name I look at a guy like you and I'm thankful that you're here because there's a lot of guys who went through a lot of stuff like you did and they're not here 
they're gone, right? That's, and, that's one of know, the things that can happen. You know, and it almost happened to me. It was very close. You so. know, and it's it's a blessing for younger artists like us to be able to see you do your thing and create records each year that are, you know, there's and they're not like settling, right? You're going for shit that is just awesome. Yeah, I don't you know? understand why people think that people automatically settle. I think people do the best that they can, and you know, I'm just kind of. I do it the way I was taught to do it, and I got because I didn't die. I got older and I got better, you know. So yeah. I think that's what happens, and that's what should happen anyway. And and I don't. Um, I was uh, able to see Tom Petty two days before he died for the right, first time, yeah. and it was like, in my mind, I was like, I, I I would not have gone to this concert if I wasn't given these tickets as a wedding present. They're so expensive, you know. And right. I was so thankful that I was able to see him and he, he seemed great. so and, happy and, and, the, and the heartbreaking yeah. thing is he had been he had been doing better shows than yeah. he had done in a long time that year oh the band sounded incredible that was tough for everybody yeah do you see yourself in 10 years doing what god in 10 years I'll be you know 74 years old the age my dad was when he died mm-hmm. um you know, I'm hopefully making music for theater in New York City and making a record in the summer times and going out to you know going out to tour in the summertime and support it. But um, you know, I just um, I'll keep doing this till the end. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. While I wish I could have cajoled Steve Earle to play his favorite new song in the back of his tour bus, there was just no time, unfortunately. So. Here is his favorite tune from his newest record, Guy, a Guy Clark classic called L.A. Freeway. Pack up all your dishes Make note of all good wishes Say goodbye to the landlord for me Some bitches always bored me Throw out some more L.A. papers Motorbox vanilla wafers Adios to all this concrete Gonna give me some Duro Backstreet If I can just get out of this L.A. freeway When I can kill the call I'll be down the road in a cloud of smoke to some land I ain't bop, bop, bop in this It's to you, old skinny Dennis only one I think I will miss I can hear your old basement singing Sweet low like I give your brain in Play it for me one more time now Gotta give it all I can now I believe every word you say Just keep on, keep on playing
Big thanks to Steve Earle and his team for uh, allowing me on the bus to talk to him for a little bit. You can go to steveearle.com for his music and his tour dates. And uh, his newest record is called Guy, featuring all the tastiest Guy Clark songs that you can muster. And uh, that's on New West Records. If you hop over to bluegrasssituation.com, you can see that in June there was a beautiful video creation of that song you just heard on our podcast, L.A. Freeway, shot in the Venice Canals in L.A. So check it out. It's beautiful. And guess what? Steve Earl and the Dukes, his band, will be all over the place this summer. They're going to be in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania in the next few days. And then they will be going up to Canada and Michigan and Wisconsin and I think Montana. They're going all over the place in that bus. So go buy a ticket, buy a record, do the right thing, support this music. I'll be on the road all over the place as well with my group Dust Bowl Revival. Uh, We'll be hopping around the Midwest this coming weekend, uh, playing Irish Fest in Chicago on the 12th of July, and then going up to uh, Minnesota, playing the Rolling River Music Fest outside Minneapolis, and then playing Madison, Wisconsin at the High Noon Saloon. And then we will be going uh, up to Seattle, playing the Tractor Tavern on the 21st of July. And finally, we will be playing some dates in New England, playing this crazy old tent uh, in Cape Cod called Payomet Arts. That will be July 25th, and then playing the 26th at Ossipee Music Festival in Maine, and then flying all the way to Montana to play the Red Ants Pants Music Fest outside Bozeman on the 28th. We'll see you guys out there. Maybe you've asked yourself, what can I do to really support a band that I care about and that makes music that I feel is important but maybe isn't universally recognized or financially supported. You know what? It sounds simple, but you tell a couple friends and you go to the show and you dance your ass off. That's it. That's all I'm asking you. Because you know what? As audience members, it's easy to be distracted these days. I do it myself. You're looking at your phone, you're going to get drinks. But you know what? If an artist feels like their music is going into the wilderness and nothing is coming back, it's hard to keep going. And just the response and the love that can be felt between an audience and a songwriter, it's the reason the songwriter keeps going. 
despite the sacrifice and the craziness of the travel and leaving their family for weeks at a time. It's worth it if everyone participates. That's all I'm asking. Dance your ass off a little more. It'll be worth it. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail.